Today's scripture comes to us from the lectionary, our three-year cycle of texts that gives us four readings every week. All of the readings this week are wonderful and tie together extremely well, but I have two shortened versions of two of those passages, so I would encourage you to go and read them on your own and see all of the different connections. The first is from Matthew 16, and I am reading verses 22 through 26. As Jesus begins to tell his disciples about his coming death and resurrection, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them? If they gain the whole world, but forfeit their life, or what will they give in return for their life? The second passage is from Romans 12, verses between 14 and 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Almighty and loving God, be with us here in this place as we seek to hear your call as we seek to follow Christ as your disciples, as we listen for what you are saying to us. Help us to calm all of our anxieties within and without, to let our minds wander away from the tasks of our daily lives and focus them on you. Amen. There are many memorable quotes from these two passages of scripture. Most Christians are familiar with the phrase, take up your cross and follow me, for better or for worse. We recognize the echoes of the Sermon on the Mount in Paul's call to bless those who persecute you. But one of my favorite Jesus quotes of all time is, get behind me, Satan. Around the time that I graduated college, One of the queens on RuPaul's Drag Race uttered a similar phrase as a reaction to a passive-aggressive comment from another competitor. 
Not today, Satan, not today. It's definitely a bit more popular than the original, but I've heard both of these phrases a lot since then. You can actually find merch with the phrase, not today, Satan, from all kinds of websites. It has been quoted in memes, in songs, and shows, including the new paganist interpretation of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I've heard the original phrase used more often in Christian circles, even recently on vacation when a friend was offered a piece of cake and responded, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Though it's now often a quip about resisting temptation, I can't imagine how Peter felt when Jesus responded to him so harshly. In the passage directly before this, Peter declares Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus responds by calling Peter the rock on which he will build his church, the one to whom he will give the keys to the kingdom of heaven, in scene. And then our passage begins with a montage reel of Jesus telling the disciples in various ways and a variety of places that he will face suffering and death to rise on the third day. Naturally, after a few times, Peter is upset, and he protests. This must never happen. And suddenly Peter, the rock of the church, is unwittingly playing for Satan's team. Of course, Jesus isn't literally calling Peter Satan, but I imagine it felt that way at the time. If we step back and look at the whole quotation, it becomes a bit more clear what Jesus is saying. When he says, get behind me, Satan, Jesus uses the same Greek verb that means to follow. Jesus is reminding Peter that he is the disciple, not the leader. That he is to follow God's will, even when it seems like it might be fruitless. Peter, like most Judeans in his time, believed the Messiah would be a powerful military leader who would overcome the present empire and lead God's people to victory over their oppressors. The last thing he expected to hear from the one he has just named the Messiah is that the empire will win and Jesus will lay down his own life. We can't really fault Peter for not understanding the greater purpose here. It is heartbreaking to hear that your teacher, your mentor, someone that you love and respect is going to die. One of the most beloved professors at Princeton Seminary, where I was in school, was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in my last semester. And they recently stepped down from teaching because they're approaching the end of their life. This is a person who has taught many pastors how to care for others, who is a voice for mental health awareness, a prophetic voice in theological circles, and a person who genuinely has the kind of spirit that I believe can change the world. But in my life and in my ministry, I've often found that far too often, these are the kind of people whose lives are cut short for whatever reason. The people whose memorial services are packed to the brim with loved ones, overflowing with stories of their love and care for others, and sending people out filled with hope and inspiration to live more like the one they have lost. Whether or not we have time to prepare for this kind of loss, at some point we find ourselves protesting, God, don't let this happen, or God, why has this happened? 
Peter's knowledge is limited, like ours. I don't believe personally that God ever desires our suffering or death, even the death of Christ, or that God takes people from our midst for a higher purpose. The death of our loved ones, I believe, is a consequence of humanity, of injustice, of tragedy, and of the frailty and limitations of our own bodies. But Jesus was a willing participant in his own death and resurrection, well before the incarnation. He understood that his crucifixion would be a reversal of power and injustice and sin, just as his ministry was about humility and sacrifice, and just as he has taught his disciples to do the same. Jesus is focused on the things of the divine. His eyes are on the cross, and his aim is clear, to gain our salvation. But his goal for us as his disciples is different. It is to further the kingdom of heaven. If any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This phrase from Jesus is fairly well known. To the disciples at that time, it would have been a clear message that they might face the same fate that Jesus is predicting for himself, the humiliation and torment of crucifixion. The phrase has also been used to justify or even glorify suffering for Christ. But as the Reverend Dr. Mark Skinner explains, Whenever the New Testament seems to commend suffering, it is almost always in the context of the blowback you get for the stance you take in following Jesus. So how exactly do we take up our cross and follow Christ? How is it that we focus on divine concerns we don't understand rather than human concerns that we are familiar with? How can we metaphorically lose our lives for Christ's sake in order to gain them? Here the lectionary points us to a lovely, tidy list from Paul in the letter of Romans. At first glance, it seems like a simple list of expectations we would have of any decent human being. Love others, care for your neighbors, do not repay evil for evil. A few pieces stand out to me as calls from Christ. To bless those who persecute you and to associate with the lowly. And these ideas are also echoed in other faith traditions. But the most beautiful and the most hopeful line in this passage is, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, it sounds like a simple expectation of any decent human being. But on hearing it, I have the same reaction as Peter. That's not possible. The world is too consumed by greed, by evil, by sin. Why is it that it seems the longer we live in this world, the easier it is to give in to the cynicism and complacency, the attitude that our world is beyond saving? In the past year or so, our culture has even gotten tired of superhero narratives, especially because the issues addressed on screen are no longer coming from the pages of history, but more often from our present reality. Overcome evil with good. It sounds idealistic, I know. Maybe it even sounds like a childish fantasy to you. 
likely because it is the theme of many children's books, like Harry Potter or the Chronicles of Narnia. Love is stronger than hate. We believe this, and yet too often we know that the world doesn't respond to love or logic or hope. It is what it is. But we'll never know if we keep allowing our cynicism and doubt to dampen our voices, to quiet our love for others. It calls to mind the words of Dr. King when he preached on loving our enemies. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. I wholeheartedly believe this. I believe that love is the only antidote to hate, to evil, to injustice. But I also doubt it almost every day. Especially when those who seem to be proclaiming love the loudest are often the ones who fall victim to hate. Like the story of Laura Ann Carlton, a community member, a mother of nine, and an ally who chose to display a pride flag in the window of the shop that she owned. Though she received criticism from some neighbors and shoppers, she kept up the flag, and when it had faded in the sunlight, she replaced it with a larger and brighter flag. Until last Monday, when another neighbor argued with her about the display, tore down that flag, and she gave her life over her love for the LGBTQ community. This was also the last act of her neighbor's life. I could say a lot of things about how this kind of hate happens, and I have, about how every day in our country we see one another as symbols, as controversies, rather than as fellow human beings. We could talk about policy changes, but what I truly care about and what keeps me up at night is how this kind of hate stops. It seems we are not loving loudly enough. In response to this tragedy, Shannon Watts, who is the founder of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America, tweeted this message. If you have a pride flag, today would be the day to fly it. The solution isn't taking down our flags to avoid being singled out. It is putting up so many that we outnumber them. The answer isn't to be quiet, to be timid, to argue that this isn't right. It is to love louder than hate. It is so easy to convince ourselves that to put up this kind of display is simply too political or too flashy, or even too performative. But does it matter? If the only way to drive out hate is to love louder, then maybe we need to stop overthinking it. Showing love to others without discrimination may not always be popular or easy, but we know it's what Jesus means when he says, take up your cross, and what Paul means when he says, associate with the lowly. So if you have desire, put out a pride flag. But there are many other ways that we can love louder without this kind of display, and often more meaningful ways. We can respond with love anytime that we hear someone disparage the LGBTQ community. 
We can share information about how gay and queer youth are four times more likely to have mental health struggles. Or remind people that transgender people are much more likely to be victims than perpetrators. You can walk out of this sanctuary with a reminder that there are adults, youth, and even some children in this congregation who identify as LGBTQ+. And every single one of them and every single one outside of these walls deserves all our love regardless of our political stances or our personal religious beliefs. I will admit that I am part of this problem. I often sit posting on social media rather than volunteering my time in advocacy or in service to others. I don't often stop to talk to my neighbors, much less the people who ardently disagree with me. And I sit comfortably distracted by my work and personal to-do lists while others are suffering in our country. Imagine if each of us spent just an hour more per week finding a tangible way to show love and support for our neighbors, however we like, and even for our naysayers to show love. The Reverend Dr. Caroline Lewis says, to be a cross-bearer is to make decisions on where you align yourself. What will you take up? What will you reject or deny or call out? for the sake of the kingdom of heaven? When are the actual times in our lives that if Jesus were present, he would not hesitate to shout, get behind me, Satan? I would look first to the people who are being villainized, no matter who they are or what they've done. On the one hand, we receive and too often believe the harmful false narrative that transgender individuals are dangerous. It is a narrative meant to prevent us from seeing their humanity, like many groups before them. On the other hand, we also turn our hate toward our leaders, leaders on both sides of the aisle. Soon after the events of January 6th, Brene Brown spoke passionately about the words that many people assigned to Donald Trump. People who refer to him as a Cheeto, by various animal nicknames, and even as a monster. This last word is the same word we often attribute to men like Hitler or Putin, who have committed abhorrent and heinous crimes against humanity. And yet she reminded her listeners that all of these words are part of the dehumanization process, a process that begins with creating an image of an enemy and the longer we give in to this narrative, whoever the target of it is, we start to lose our ability to listen, to communicate, and to practice empathy. Ultimately, we end up participating in the same dangerous narratives perpetuated by the worst world leaders. The cost of discipleship is following the way of Christ, even when the whole world seems to be doing the opposite. Thankfully, we do not bear this cross alone, but as a congregation, as a community, and as the body of Christ. At the laying of the sanctuary's cornerstone in 1952, it was not a pastor, but President Harry Truman who gave this very congregation the following charge. Our churches must not become a place to hide from the facts of the world around us. 
nor a mere badge of social responsibility. The churches in particular are a force which should fight for personhood and decency and better lives for all of our people. It's sad that in our modern era, we still have to fight for others to be seen and respected and loved as fellow human beings. It's uncomfortable and difficult to navigate, especially when it requires us to look in the mirror and see that we are part of the problem. It also requires us to open our minds to the possibility of God's power, even when God's response seems passive in the face of empire. But I do believe that if we start shouting down Satan, if we drown out the harmful narratives, if we bless even those who persecute us, we can drive out hate, we can overcome evil, and we can bring the kingdom of heaven near. Amen.